joys in every battle. Every battle you count those joys. And not only do you count the joy in every battle, you pray for those times. You pray to God for those trials. You pray to God for those troubles. Because it's in those times, folks, that we really and truly grow in the spirit. And we want to thank our almighty God in heaven. Thank you so very much for giving us this time together. Thank you for giving us those trials. Thank you for giving us those moments in which we can truly look at ourselves in the mirror of the Ten Commandments and say, wow, I need to do better. I need to grow more. I need to be closer to Jesus. I need to walk with Yeshua more in the 24 hours that God gives me every day than I have been. It's the only way forward. And when you come into those fires, there'll be another one standing there with you. You will not be alone. There'll be another one who will not allow you to get those third-degree burns, to get those scars. Now, there is a song, um, a Christian song, a worship song called Scars. And uh, maybe I'll play that tomorrow. Maybe I'll play that on the way out today. Um But your scar tissue doesn't need to be uh, life-changing. It doesn't need to be disfiguring because Jesus will be there with you. He'll be protecting you, just like he did uh, with those three young men who stood in the fire and were unharmed and untouched. That's what Jesus does. So no matter what, folks, as long as you stay close to him, and when I stay close to him, what I mean is this. And I need to tell myself this every day, too. Throughout the day, you need to go to this more. Throughout the day, you need to go read this more. And in God's hands, just said, I got called out on a sin yesterday, and I fell, I felt it to my toes. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But the more you go to this throughout the day, set an alarm. I mean, if that's what you have to do, that's okay. Bobby said, Scars played at my husband's funeral. Be a hard song for you to listen to then, wouldn't it? Set an alarm on your phone. I'm going to start doing that. Every hour. Every hour, I am going to go to this Bible, and I'm going to read a verse, even if it's just one verse, because that keeps you close to the Word of God, and that keeps those scar tissues from being um, a disfigured large scar. It keeps them minimal, if even ever seen at all, and might even cure them completely. Okay? So I titled today's show Curing Snake Bites. All right? How many of you are afraid of snakes? I am. I, 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 I have, I don't know what that's called, Eli. I know uh, afraid of spiders is arachnophobia. What's the fear of snakes? A reptile defunction? <laughs> what is the word for fear of snakes? What is it? Apodiaphobia? Aphidiophobia? Aphidiophobia. I have aphidiophobia. I am afraid of snakes. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not want them. I do not want them. I do not want them, green eggs and ham. I do not like snakes. I don't like the look of them. I don't like the thought of them. I don't like the smell of them. I don't like anything, anything about snakes whatsoever. And I sure as heck, sure as heck, one of the biggest fears 
<laughs> snakeophobia. <laughs> T. Mitchell said snakeophobia. That's what we're going to go with. Snakeophobia. I sure don't like the fact uh, or the thought of being bit by a snake. Okay? A reptile dysfunction, Eli. <laughs> first, thing that, first thing that came to my mind. Lord, forgive me. Um, I don't like the thoughts of snakes. I don't like the thought of being bitten by a snake. Now, here's the thing about snakes, too. All of them are different. Not all of them bite. But the ones that do bite and the ones that do uh, infect you with venom, they're all different. You need a different kind of uh, anti-venom for certain snakes that bite you. And there are a lot of venomous snakes. That's right, Angel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's right. There are a lot of different snakes that bite you. And snakes can paralyze you. Snakes can leave you with permanent scars. Snakes can disfigure you. Snakes can leave you with an infection that can swell up. And some snake bites will kill you if not treated quickly. Okay? So we're going to talk about curing snake bites today as a metaphor and as an example. So I want to read to you what I wrote for the description if you've not read it yet. I said, have you ever been bitten by a snake? There are many kinds of snakes, and all of them are different, even in the case of the venom. Some kill, some become immobile. Uh, They're victims anyway. Some get infected and get permanently disfigured, and there are antivenoms out there, but most of all, or but most all, use the blood of a very specific animal to make that, um, to make those antivenoms. And do you know that the animal that they use to make the most of the serum or anti-venom medicines and cures, it comes from a lamb. How crazy is that? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the cure for most snake bites and the anti-venom. What's another word for anti-venom, Eli? What's the word they use? Uh, you got the, you know, for a snake bite, it's not anti-venom, it's antidote, right? The antidote. The antidote is made for most snake bites from the blood of a lamb. I bet you didn't know that. How crazy is that? So that means that the blood of the lamb will save you from the bite of the snake. And that's science, baby. That's not also just a fact and a scientific fact. It's also an analogy, a metaphor, an example for being washed clean by the blood of the lamb. Oh, Jeremy, you're getting into it today. Yes, we are, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we are, and we're going to get into the science of that. We're going to get into the, the metaphor and the, and the analogy of all that, and it's going to blow your mind and change your life. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We are 17 minutes past the hour. We need him to help us really, really understand this message today more now than ever. Very powerful, Patty. Very powerful. Furry says, not a coincidence. Amen. A wow moment, says J-Rock. Oh, I have goosebumps, says Jen. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, Sherry Ann says, that gave me the chills. Sherry Z says, God is great. And Nancy says, wow, learn something new every day on Rise Up. 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then let's dive into this very, very powerful rise up episode. What are we? Episode 215, Eli. Um, In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, God in heaven, Father, we are so incredibly grateful and appreciative to be your children to be given the opportunity to live with you for eternity and not live without you because living without you is the very definition of hell and that is something that we can avoid. That is something that we've been saved from because of the sacrificial blood of the Lamb, your Son, the Son of God, the Son of Man, and our Savior, Yeshua of Nazareth. Lord, we are going to be threatened by vipers and bitten by snakes along the path of life. Many, many, many times. And the fact that you, the creator of everything that is perfect and holy, created the antidote, the anti-venom for a snake bite to come out of the blood of a lamb, what a massive revelation that is to us today. Lord, help us navigate through the message today of how to cure all snake bites through the sacrificial blood of the lamb. Restore all the health to those who are praying and listening and watching and learning from this beautiful Godcast called Rise Up Today. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Troy says, aren't lambs the only ones when bitten by a snake have self-healing powers? That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true, my friend. So buckle up, says Amanda, because God is on the move. We have 1,100 people in here watching. If you could please do me the kind favor of liking this video, that's just giving us a thumbs up. Now, I know that there's a lot of people out there that say, "Ah, I know we ask that every day and I never do it because I don't have a Rumble account. You know how easy and quick it is and how free it is to make a Rumble account? And do you know how much it actually helps us for you to do that? If it didn't, we wouldn't ask. So please, 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 please. Like this video, make a Rumble account, share it daily because there's nothing more important than spreading the word of God and spreading the gospel. Can I get an amen? All right, folks, we're going to get into it now very, very deep. The blood of the lamb. What is so incredible about the blood of the lamb? Well, I think we know. I think we know, don't we? But I want to get to the verse of the day and then we'll get to that blood of the lamb because I want to talk about the blood of the lamb and we're going to go to Revelation 7.14 for that, okay? But before we get to Revelation 7.14, I'm going to read from 7.9. So please open up your Bibles, go to the back of the Bible. That's where you're going to find Revelations. Go to chapter 7, okay? I know it's going to take you a time to get there. Go to chapter 7. And then we're going to go to verse 9, okay? And we're going to read all the way through 17. And this is talking about a multitude from a great tribulation, okay? All right. See you later, Scotty. Love you. God bless. Bad Moon says coffee refill. It's a good idea. Coffee refill for me too. All right. Here we go. I hope you guys have your Bibles open to that page. A multitude from the great tribulation. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, of all tribes, of all people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, 
with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Saying, Amen, blessing the glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I think it's great to know that they were holding palm leaves just like they were doing when Jesus came into the city on a donkey. They did use horses to make anti-venom for a long time. You're right, Larry, until they found out that the blood of the lamb is far more effective. We're going to get to that. Great knowledge, Larry. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to them, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now let's go to the power of the blood of the Lamb. This was a great discovery about the Lamb. So let's go and read it now. We have a beautiful picture of a Lamb here too. Look at this. Discovery about the blood of the lamb. There it is right there. Look at that. Look at that. Incredible. But let's go on and read this, okay? They are using the blood of sheep to produce an antitoxin for rattlesnakes. Yes, rattlesnakes. Because the blood of the lamb causes the poison that that snake and many other snakes injects into somebody's body to have no deadly power whatsoever. People are being saved from snake bites using the blood of the lamb. When snake venom is injected into the blood of a lamb, it immediately goes to work producing antibodies to combat the venom. These antibodies from the blood are then used to save human lives. Let's say that a farmer had his sheep bit in the face by a snake. Its face may swell up, but the lamb faces no lethal consequences because the blood immediately begins to produce what is needed to overcome the snake bite. The blood of the lamb makes the poison of the snake 
powerless. Let me say that one more time because that simple statement right there is probably the most powerful statement that I will read or make out of my mouth today. The blood of the lamb makes the poison of the snake powerless. Now the book of Genesis likens Satan to a snake. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Genesis 3.1. The book of John likens Jesus to a lamb. The next day, John saw Jesus uh, coming toward him and said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29. Sin and Satan injected all the poison that we see in the world. Wow. Sin and Satan injected all the poison... That we see in the world today. How do we cure that poison? How do we cure the poison of our country? How do we cure the poison of the world? How do we cure the poison of the afflicted and the, and the oppressed? That are, that are taken over by demons and Satan himself. The blood of the lamb. When we apply the blood of Jesus, the lamb, to our lives by grace through faith, we overcome both sin and Satan. So just like when a, the blood of a lamb goes to work and that snake bites that lamb in the face, all of a sudden it might swell up, but it immediately goes to work to combat that swelling and that poisonous uh, snake venom is no longer deadly to that lamb. The same thing when we overcome both sin or when we overcome sin through our faith saved by grace. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. And they overcame him with the blood of the lamb. Revelation 12, 11. What poison is coming against you? What sin is overtaking you? What sickness is coming out of you? What pain is trying to swallow you up? Apply the antitoxin. Have faith in the blood. What a beautiful flow the blood of Jesus is. The lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. Both past, I mean, should say all past, present, and future. Sin made the earth such an ugly and hurtful place sometimes. Heaven is a beautiful place, pain-free, always joyful, because there is no sin there. It has all been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Is any of this wowing you today? Does any of this make you just go, wow, God is amazing. God is perfect and God is on the move. Hallelujah. We have 1,300 people watching in here. Let's get that to 2,000. Let's do another round of sharing for the word of God. Because if the world knew that the blood of the lamb could cure snake bites, maybe the world would actually run to Jesus even more. Because the ultimate snake bite is sin, ladies and gentlemen. The ultimate snake bite is definitely sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We cannot save ourselves from sin. We cannot save ourselves from sickness. We cannot save ourselves from pain, depression, lack, confusion, or any other horrible thing that you can think of that comes from the evil one. Only the blood of Jesus saves us from all of that. All of it. 
All of it. He suffered to make our future nothing but good. He is wonderful, self-sacrificing Savior, and he gave his own blood to save us from the snake bite that the devil administers on us and our families every day, the sin of the snake bite. Unbelievable. What a great thing to learn today. What a great thing to learn. Now you can choose to apply the blood of the lamb to your snake bite, but understand this. The devil will do everything he can to kill you if you do. Remember Larry gave his life to Jesus not, what, two weeks ago? And what did I say to Larry when that happened? What were my words to Larry? My words were this. Now that you have professed your love for Jesus and you have applied the blood of the lamb to your snake bite of sin, he's going to come after you more now than ever. Didn't I say that? And that's exactly what that just said too. Remember the power of the blood when you feel afraid. Remember the power of the blood when you feel like nobody's listening and you're oppressed and you are lonely and sad. Remember that you've taken the antidote. You have access to the anti-venom. And that includes everything that the devil hurls at you. So that's the way I wanted to start out today's show. I pray that that opened your eyes a little bit because I know it did mine. And I pray that you will take that message with you to your churches and preach that message to your congregation. When you're having your coffee and donuts in the morning at church and you're having fellowship with other members or children of God, I want you to talk to them about the blood of the lamb and how to cure a snake bite and tell them if you want more messages like that, why don't you try watching Rise Up at 9 a.m. In, uh, in the Eastern Hemisphere every day with me? Can you imagine if we could have five, ten thousand people in here learning the word of God? Learning the true word of God? Mazzy Paws, does your husband watch the show? Because if he doesn't, I highly suggest that you bring him in and watch the show. And if he can't watch it live, bring him in and let him watch it later on. Maybe watch it twice. It's that important. It's that important. It's also very important to watch Trumpet Daily, folks. Trumpet Daily here at 9 p.m. every single day. Another man of God bringing you the news with a godly point of view and his, fo- and his mind and, and, and heart and soul focused on God while he's doing it. Check out Trumpet Daily here at 9 p.m. every night as well. Now, getting back to the way things should be done. Because that's what I feel like we do here on Rise Up. Now, some might misinterpret what I just said. Some might say Jeremy thinks he's a prophet. No, I don't. Not at all. <laughs> Anything but. Jeremy thinks he knows more than all the other people that I could watch about God. Not even close to truth. Jeremy thinks that this is the only place that you're going to get the real word of God. Well, (laughs) close. 
Because like I said, since 2016, I've done everything I can to dive headfirst into getting as much word and as much message as I can. And there's not very many places that I've enjoyed. There's not many very, pla- not many, very, very many places that the Holy Spirit has told me, oh, this is great. There's always an agenda. There's always a message that is different than the one Jesus preached in order to make their church better, their reputation better, the donations coming in, the fear of losing their 501c3, whatever it is. We don't have to have any of that here. We don't have to, we don't have to do any of that here. So I want to get back to the way it's supposed to be. I want to pull up the rumble chat here after I ask this question. What was the first church ever? What was the first Christian-based church ever? If we go back in history, who can lay claim to being the first church? And I'll guarantee you, a lot of you will say the same thing. And you're not really wrong, but you would be very wrong at the same time. Let's pull this up. Who can lay claim to having the first church of Jesus Christ? Maybe I'm a little behind here. I don't see any answers coming in yet. I just want to see Church of Christ, Pentecostal. Don't know. Hmm. Disciples, Jesus. Larry, you should go back because Jeremy addressed you about five minutes ago. Antioch, I don't know. Jesus was the church. Yes, you are right about that, but you know what I, you know what I mean. Church was the people of, and not the building. The disciples. Well, I can tell you this. My son-in-law says the Catholic Church. Well, if anybody says the Catholic Church, you would be right and wrong. Now, the Catholic Church lays claim to being the first church of Jesus after Jesus Christ. Okay? And I'm talking post-Jesus Christ. The Catholic Church will tell you they were the first church. Now, I know there's a lot of people saying that we are the body of Christ, so we were the first church. But I'm talking very, very specifically. I'm not talking in theory or in, you know, a 5,000-foot overview. Well, I'll tell you this, folks. It wasn't the Catholic Church. And I can tell you exactly where it was. And no, it was not Noah on the boat. Not, not post-Christ. I'm talking post-Christ, an actual church, an actual place where people came and congregated and had fellowship in the name of Christ. Not the Israelites. It was when the disciples were gathered together, praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in the absence of Jesus Christ to literally come and live inside each and every Christian after that. Now we are the body of Christ. But the first time that people came together for fellowship in the name of Jesus Christ together after Christ departed from this earth was in that room. In that room. In Acts. That's right. In God, that's right in God's hands. It was in that upper room. It was when the disciples in the upper room were all together praying in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they started speaking in tongues and they started speaking the name of Jesus. That was the very first recorded moment of what we call and know today as 
church. It was that moment in which they all came together in the name of Jesus Christ after Jesus Christ left in that upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And that was the first recorded moment that we could call church. What a, what a powerful, powerful, powerful moment. What a powerful time. What a great, and I want to talk about the Holy Spirit here for a minute. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying we shouldn't give Jesus all the credit. Jesus should get all the credit. So don't look at it that deep. Don't look at it in that way, what I'm about to say. We talk an awful lot about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit because they are one in three. But boy, that Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit lives with us 24 hours a day. He, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that's with us while Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. He's putting in the work, isn't he? The Holy Spirit puts in the work. Jesus has got a job to do right now. Jesus is not here. He's here in spirit through the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is working. He's got a job to do right now. He had a job to do back then, and he's doing a job right now. But the Holy Spirit, who lives in you, with you every day, and goes with you everywhere you go, helps make every decision because of the blood that was shed by the Lamb, Oh, that Holy Spirit. Do I love that Holy Spirit, folks? Man, do I love the Holy Spirit. And I rely on the Holy Spirit. When I speak the name of Jesus, when I speak about God, when I talk about Scripture, when I speak about anything that has to do with God and His creation, I'm relying on the Holy Spirit. If you don't bring that Holy Spirit into your life and you don't cherish the Holy Spirit, you can't cherish Jesus. You can't cherish God. And a lot of people pray to God and pray to Jesus as if, yes, they're in my heart, but I'm praying to them up there or I'm praying to them out there. But the Holy Spirit's right here on his knees with you. The Holy Spirit is them out there right here. Jesus is working, but he's here in the Holy Spirit. But that Holy Spirit, that embodiment of the Holy Spirit that's living in you, man, I'm just telling you, it's just a crazy great thing. It's just a crazy, beautiful, wonderful, great thing. And folks, when you pray, it's not out there. It's right here. Everything is right here. Everything about it, everything is about as local as this microphone is right here to me, as this coffee cup is to me. It's that local. It's right here. So when you're praying, pray, knowing that the Holy Spirit is right here and Jesus and God are right here with the Holy Spirit. And now I want to talk about, in the last 20 minutes here, I got a couple videos I'd like to show you, but I want to talk about Islam and Christianity. Well, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Everybody knows the story of Isaac and Ishmael, right? How many of you feel, felt bad for Ishmael? Your whole life. I did. Every time I read the story of Abraham, I feel so bad for Ishmael and his mother. 
Now, I know that we're not to hate them or anything like that. And I know that they didn't do anything wrong. But the story of Ishmael and his mother happened outside of God's plan, outside of God's will. So there are consequences. And the consequences of that were Ishmael and his mother had to be banished from the camp, from the people. I always felt bad for Ishmael. And it's not Isaac's fault. So I don't blame Isaac for Ishmael and having to be banished from the people with his mother. And God did bless Ishmael, you're right, Jersey, and made him a great nation. Here's the thing that some people may not know. Isaac went on and through his bloodline, the 12 tribes of Judah and Israel that we know today was formed. So the Israel people, the Israelis, the people of God, God's chosen people came from God's will of Isaac. Ishmael, even though he was born outside of God's will and brought to this earth outside of God's will, even though he was blessed, he went on to go inhabit the Arabian area, the Arabian Peninsula, and that is where Islam comes from. So the nation of Islam, Muslims, that, that everything comes from Ishmael. And Judaism and Christianity ultimately comes from Isaac. Okay? So, remember when that, remember when I helped that Muslim man who got robbed and beat? And, and, and the way that I, um, the way that, uh, that I broke down the barrier between him and I was he was a Muslim, I'm a Christian, and I said, we both go back to Abraham. Remember that story? Because whether you're a Jew whether you are a Muslim or whether you are a Christian, everybody goes back to Abraham and everybody believes in the same God. The only difference is Islam believes that Muhammad was the prophet. Judaism believes that the Messiah hasn't come yet. And Christianity obviously believes that the Messiah was Jesus and he is God's son. There's Okay, now we understand how this all happened. Think about family conflict, folks. Think about family conflict. A whole bunch of people said they froze up. You froze up, Eli? Oh, yeah, Rumble is froze up too. Type in the... Back now? Okay, we should be good now. We're, we'll wait. We'll wait. See that? I started talking about Muslims. Started talking about the truth about Islam, and look what happens. Should be good now? Okay, we're back. Okay. All right, so let's get back to it now. We were talking about how the two nations came from the two different And we talked about, uh, oh, that's what we talked about. Families fighting. Cousins. Ishmael and Isaac were half-brothers. So that means their children, 
Jacob, the tribes of Israel, and all of Ishmael's children were all cousins. So that means that Christians and Muslims ultimately are cousins. And I started thinking about the eternity-long war between Islam, Judaism, and Christians. And I started thinking about why all Um, not all, but, you know, the caliphate and the people that don't believe in Muhammad, they want them all dead. I started thinking about the animosity that the Islam religion has towards Christians and Jews. And it must go back to that. It must go back to that. I felt wronged. I was wronged, Ishmael. My mother was wronged. We were booted out of this camp and we didn't do anything wrong. God has blessed me, but God's chosen people are my half-brother's side of the family. And I've just been kind of, you know, left out to dry. So I started thinking about that and I'm like, wow. Wow. No wonder. Now I'm not saying that it's right in any way, but I'm like, it's got to be that. It must go all back to that. And then throughout generations and generations and generations and generations, it's just been ingrained in them to hate Jews and ultimately now Christians. And it has to go back to that moment. That's where you have to trace it back to. And it's all about hate and jealousy. Think about it. It's all about jealousy. Jealousy and hate over the fact of what happened to him. And I get it. But that hate then became a holy hate. And if you think about it, you go back to Satan. What made Satan fall from heaven? What did he do? He was jealous. He coveted God's spot. He coveted God's authority. And his own lust for that power, his own lust for that control and that kind of a status created jealousy, which was the great fall from heaven. Is not Islam just a false religion built out of jealousy, pride, anger, resentment? And when you start looking at Islam like that, and not from some biased point of view of, I'm just a Christian, so I hate Islam, then you understand why they do what they do today. Then you understand why they are so evil and so demonic and can cut heads off without even thinking about it. Now you understand why they are so angry because you take it back to Ishmael and Isaac, and that's where it all started. It had to have, and jealousy the coveting of somebody else's authority or their status or their stuff. So then you start understanding a little bit more about the Islamic faith. And it's completely derived out of jealousy, hate, anger, and resentment. And now I'm starting to get... Today's show was just filled with so much stuff. I had to get it all out. I had so much 
that the Lord has been putting on my heart lately about so much stuff that I'm just like, I don't really know what to talk about today. There's so much stuff I want to talk about. But I think snake bites and understanding why the world is where it is today with this war and this holy war, it all goes back to that jealousy. And now I have a few videos to show you. We finally got into the video section. Now, remember when I told you that Islam actually holds Jesus in a lot higher regard than Judaism does, right? Jews that aren't completed Jews, they absolutely hate the thought of Jesus. They don't like the name Yeshua in any way, shape, or form. But Islam actually holds Jesus and Mary in very high regard. Actually, they call her Miriam in the Quran. Now, I want to see, I, I love this man. I show, him all, I show him to you guys quite a bit. But he, he was a, um, he speaks Arabic, Hebrew. He was a Muslim at one time. He's a Christian now. But he can absolutely slay any um, argument that comes from the Islamic faith about Jesus not being God or this, that, and the other. So I saved this video and I wanted to show it to you. Here you go. According to the Quran, who's the greatest woman Allah created? Maryam. You admit it. Mary, the mother of Christ, right? Yeah, the Mary, mother of Jesus. Yeah, chapter 3, verse 42. And she's the only woman mentioned by name, right? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Why is Jesus' mother the greatest of all women and not Muhammad's mother if Muhammad is the greatest of all men? Mm. What makes her so special? Uh, she is the mother of a prophet who spoke Wisdom at a young age. At a, at what about Amina? Amina, the mother of Muhammad, supposedly gave birth to the seal of the prophets, right? Yeah. So why then is Muhammad's mother not mentioned the Quran? Why did Muhammad say his mother is in hell with his father? Why does Allah dishonor Muhammad this way when he's supposed to be the seal of the prophets and the one who completes the religion of the prophets? And yet Jesus' mother is the greatest of all women if Jesus is just the man. The parents of Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, they were not believers, and Maryam was a believer. Why? That's you still didn't answer my question. Why did Allah send Muhammad into the womb of a kafira, an unbeliever? Why not send him into the womb of a believing woman like he did for Jesus? Be because, <clears throat> pardon me, because the mother of uh, Jesus is a believer, and the parents of the Prophet are not believers. Of the Prophet who Muhammad. gave who gave Jesus to a believing mother? God. So why didn't God give Muhammad to a believing woman? I do not know. Exactly. Now, second question I want to ask you. In Islam, in the Quran, I hope I don't have... According to the Quran, who's the greatest... Don't you? I just... I, I love the way he, he gets them to answer questions that they should know. And then he just nails them right at the end. Nails them right at the end. And I love that. Now, here's to go back to talk about that... Um, story with Ishmael and Isaac. This is a video that I saved uh, that got me thinking. This is the video that actually got me thinking about Ishmael and Isaac and how the two religions came, well, Judaism and Islam came from these two young men. Let's go ahead and roll this. Ishmael and Isaac are cousins through Abraham. Arabs come from Ishmael. Ishmael went to Paran, Arabia, and all the Arabs will claim their allegiance and connection to Abraham through Ishmael. Mm -hmm. All the Jews will claim their allegiance to Abraham through Isaac. Isaac had a son named uh, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and he had 12 sons. That's where the Jews come from. Mm. Out of those Jews came Jesus, and out of Jesus came you and me. And so you and I have been grafted into Israel spiritually through Jesus Christ. So you and I are connected through that. Read, please, Psalm 122, 6. 
Psalm 122, 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. It doesn't say pray for the peace of Israel, which is nothing wrong with that, but it says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What, what that doesn't mean is that Israel can do anything they want to anybody they want. Mm. That's not what that means. And so when you pray for the peace of Israel, the peace of Israel is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. And the prayer is that Jesus, who is coming back, they can do it all they want over there, right. Jesus is coming back. Come on. And he's going to rule from Jerusalem and he's going to be a new Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says. That's what we hold on to. We're not holding on to any government. We're not holding on to any military. We're holding on to the promises of God. Ishmael and I. Yeah, pretty incredible stuff. And you notice that another thing that I always noticed about um, uh, Islam is that when they talk about their prophet Muhammad, right? When they talk about their prophet Muhammad, they have to say peace and blessings be upon him. Why do they have to say that? Who is your prophet? Who is your so powerful prophet that you have to ask for or administer or bless him with peace and blessings. Jesus is the ultimate peace and Jesus is the ultimate blessing. We can't bless Jesus. We can't call for peace upon Jesus. He is peace. He is peace incarnate. You see what I'm saying there? So just the fact that you have to ask for or call for or pray for or whatever, every time you mention his name, peace and blessings be upon him. We can't do that. Jesus has to do that for us. How powerful is your prophet? And by the way, like I've always said, if you look back in the, in the, in the way things go, the old, old, old prophet, um, I mean, uh, before, you know, what the life of, uh, of Muhammad, like I said, evil, evil. And his parents were non-believers. So, <laughs> you know, just saying. It all starts to make sense. It all starts to make sense. Now, the video in which started get the video that I saw that I archived, and I'll play this for the last couple minutes here, that got me thinking about the first church came from Joseph Bram. Joseph Bram was interviewing this guy who was a Catholic, and this is what he said. So when I went back and I started looking into it, and I was like, wow, man, this guy was right. The first fellowship post-Christ was definitely in that upper room. There was never a mention in the Bible of anything other than that. Somebody said, nobody teaches like you teach, Jeremy. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. All glory goes to God on that one. Roll it. So the very, very first church was the Catholic Church. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's, it's talking about the apostles and the disciples, the very first apostles. They were praying in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit. This was the very number one first church in the existence of the world of Jesus Christ. Nothing that they were doing is what the Catholics do. The Catholics don't pray and seek the Holy Spirit to fill them. They were doing something different than what the Catholic Church teaches. So how could it be? They weren't baptizing any babies in water in the upper room. Uh, they didn't have priestly robes. They weren't giving communion. They weren't making paintings and pictures and talking to the, to the saints in heaven such as Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel. They weren't teaching to talk to them once they go to heaven. They they weren't teaching them any of these things that the Catholic Church teaches. They weren't saying, come to us and to confess to us. They were doing what Jesus told them, following Jesus and seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The very first church looks very, very different than the Catholic Church. And he's not wrong. Now, a lot of people say, why are so many people always coming down on the Catholic Church and the Catholics? It's not about that. See, I don't have a any ties to Catholicism, so... 
you're right. There's not much I know about it when it comes to knowing the ins and outs of Catholicism and how you grow up and what you do. Now, I know more than the average person does. Don't get me wrong. And I'm going to tell you why it feels like the whole world is coming down on you. Number one, when non-believers, agnostics, or people of other religions think about Christianity, they think about Catholics, period. I don't know why. Maybe because they've been around since the very, you know, close to the very beginning, and people just associate them, maybe because of the power of the Roman Catholic Church that they once held, maybe because of the Crusades. I don't know. But the reason why people always have to feel like they're bashing Catholicism. It's not that they're bashing Catholicism. It's that they're trying to separate themselves from Catholicism because Catholicism is made up of just what that guy said right there, at least today, is all these things and all these rules and stuff that they say you have to do. Now, I know that there are some that they don't say you have to do. These are just traditions, and those are okay. I have no problem with Jewish tradition. I have no problem with Catholicism tradition. I have no problem with traditions. It's the part where it says you have to do this or this will happen, and that's not true. It's the part that says these things must be done or else we don't accept you. Jesus would have never done that. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus drank with sinners. Jesus actually helped and hung out with people who did bad things all the time. So that is why you see that. It's not that people hate Catholics. It's that they're trying to separate themselves from religion. And unfortunately, that when you look at Christianity, most people think of the Catholic Church. And it's just not true. Just not true. So ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for my show today. I hope you guys had a good time here. I know I had a good time with all of you. Uh, Sean Farish. And Ungoverned is coming up next, followed by Live from America with yours truly. I do have a lot of fun time learning here. I would be very open to learning more about Catholicism. I don't hate it in any way. I think it's very interesting. I think it's very interesting. I just think that we need to get back to Christ and Christ only. And everything else, nah. Anyway, thank you guys. God bless you. I hope you learned something today. I know I did. Wash yourself in the blood of the Lamb, and you'll be saved. God bless. Have a great morning. See you later.